Revelation chapter 3, you want to turn your Bible this morning. We're going to look at another one of the seven churches this morning. We're going to look at a church by the name of Sardis. Hmm, Sardis is a little bit different than the picture where we were last week. Last week we looked at the sixth church, which was the church at Philadelphia. The church at Philadelphia didn't receive any rebuke. The church at Philadelphia got only encouragement. It got only compliments. But we're at a very different picture this morning here as we look at the church at Sardis. Revelation chapter 3, verse number 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write these things. Who saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars? Jesus opens up each of the seven letters to each of the seven churches with a different illustration of who he is. He gives himself a title explaining what he is about to deal with in that church. Here in this fifth letter to this fifth church, he says, I am the one that has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I don't have time to preach on this this morning. It would be another message maybe for another time. But he is making a reference back to the book of Isaiah when he's talking about the seven spirits of God. He is making reference to he is the seven spirits. He's making a reference to the Holy Spirit and how each one of these seven Holy Spirits is dealing within his church. It is the sevenfold Spirit of God dealing with the seven churches. He said, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. If you remember, I mentioned that last week, what he said to this church. He said, you think you're alive. You think all is well. You have this reputation that you're alive. Everybody out there looks in. They say that you're alive. You look like the church that's doing good. But he said, I'm here to tell you that you're dead. If you study this letter, the one thing that you'll find in this letter is different than the other letters. When he wrote to the church at Smyrna, he had some compliments for them. When he wrote to the church at Philadelphia, he had nothing but good things and compliments to say. When he wrote to Pergamos, when he wrote to Thyatira, when he wrote to Ephesus, he said, here's some good things that you did. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. But when he wrote this church to the letter here at Sardis, when he wrote this letter to them, he gave them not one compliment. He didn't have one good thing to say to this church or about this church. He said, you think you're alive. This is a very well-known church probably as well-known as any of the others. There's money in it, kind of like the church at Thyatira. They're, they're big. People know about them. They know about their reputation, and, and they know all the things going. The Lord says, you think you're alive. You think you got it going on, but I'm telling you, you're a dead church. Be watchful in verse number 2 and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works to be perfect before God. Remember, therefore, now thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith. Unto the churches. Father, I thank you for these letters. I thank you for this book. God, I thank you for everything that you've given us. God, I know that you wrote these seven letters and you handed them down to us that we might learn from them. Father, I pray this morning would you move upon Faith Baptist Church. I pray you'd move upon every person within the sound of my voice. God, if they be on live stream, if they be on television. But God, I pray especially for those right here in this building. I pray your Holy Spirit will continue to move in this place. I pray, Lord, that you would convict each one of us where we need it, compliment those where they need complimenting. God, if they need a pat on the back, that's up to you. If they need a strap on the backside, that's up to you. God, I pray that you'd set aside the things of the world right now for a few minutes. I pray you'd help us to focus on your word, that you might teach us how to be a better servant for you. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The reason that Jesus recorded these letters, the reason they're put in this book, is the exact same reason as the entire rest of the Word of God. It is so that you and I might take it. It's so that you and I might read it. It's so that you and I might study it. It's so that you and I might learn it. It's so that it might change you and I. Greg talked about how after he got saved, he left here that night listening to his same music drinking the same old stuff, but he just couldn't stay there. I was the same way. I got to where I couldn't talk to my old friends. I couldn't carry on the same conversations. I couldn't hear the same kind of music. 
I couldn't go to the same kind of places. I couldn't go to the same and do the same kind of things. Because if the Holy Spirit of God lives in you, you cannot keep living the same way you used to live. I think it was Wednesday night I said it. The Holy Spirit of God will not move into a filthy old dirty cabin and not start cleaning off some shelves, dusting off some shelves, throwing out some bad habits, getting rid of some unnecessary friends, changing some things in your life. And if you've walked in here and you claim to be a Christian, I don't care if you said a prayer. I don't care if you've got a date. If nothing changed in the way you're living your life, you are still on your way to hell. The Holy Spirit of God cannot and will not live inside of you and not change you. If you can say a prayer and go back to doing the same thing you did yesterday and nothing ever changes, then don't tell me the Holy Spirit is alive and well inside of you. He is out to change you and I. He's out to make us different that we might walk worthy, that he might move in us, that he might reach others through us. Well, that's all free. You're welcome. Here at Sardis, we got this city itself. The city of Sardis is a very popular city, very well known as a matter of fact. A little more than 700 years before Jesus Christ dictated this letter to John, who wrote it down and handed it out. Sardis was known to be probably one of the best cities in the world. They, they were there in the outreaches of the Ptolemus Mountains. The Ptolemus Mountains, there was a mountain chain that ran through, but as with many mountains, there was fingers that ran all off of it in all different directions. And these fingers created valleys. And down in one of these valleys, another finger went out, and it went out, and it ended. And at the end of it, it was surrounded on three sides by sheer vertical rock walls extending about 1,500 feet down. And at the front was a little narrow entrance. And right there on top of that is where the city of Sardis sat. They had their security. They were surrounded. Nobody could get in. And on the front, because of the narrowness of that valley coming in, they had a gate there. And just a handful of soldiers could defend that gate against any size army because there was no other way in. One of the great things that we can learn right here from this city is a lesson about complacency and false security. A king by the name of Cyrus, king of Persia, I don't have time for the whole story, but really the king there at Sardis is the one that picked the fight. He went out, and, and the Lord told him in a vision not to go pick the fight, or he, would, he said he was going to cause a great kingdom to fall in his pride. He thought it was going to be the kingdom of Persia he was going after, but what the Lord was really telling him, you go out and pick the fight, you're going to lose your own kingdom. So he went out and picked the fight. He got his backside whipped, and he ran back inside his gates, and he got back in the city so nobody could get to him. So the king of Persia come, and they sieged against the city, no one could go in or out. And while he's there, he told his soldiers, he says, If any man would find a way into that city, I will make you a very wealthy man. So one of his soldiers was a man named Herodes. Herodes was sitting out in one of these days, and he was watching. And he noticed on a wall on the backside, one of the guards that was standing up on the wall dropped his helmet, and it fell over the wall and went down off the cliff. The soldier Looked inside the city to make sure no one inside the city was looking would notice him missing so he wouldn't get in trouble. And then Herodes noticed that the guard went through a little crack in the wall. And he came down and he disappeared into what was a pathway that went down that was invisible to the eye that no man out here could see. And as he watched in a little while, that soldier appeared at the bottom of the mountain. Retrieved his helmet, disappeared back into the trail... And in a little while, he reappeared back up on the wall. Herodes went to the king. He said, I found the way in. I found a way to get into the city. So the king put together a group of men. You know, the, the chosen one, the special ops forces, the Marines, um, the, the Navy SEALs, the Green Beret, you know, the, 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 the bad dudes, the ones, thank God, we have. The, the ones that go in first aid, they went in and they found this path to be exactly as Herodes had laid it out. And they went in and they surrounded the top side of the wall and they opened that gate up front. And, and what happened when they got there, this city was so complacent in their own security. They thought they had it made so good. They put so much trust in the surrounding of the vertical walls. They had so much trust in that gate out front that they did not even post a guard that night. When they got up the next morning, the entire city was surrounded by the Persian army. The entire city was destroyed. Every one of them lost their lives or were taken captive. The entire city was destroyed because of complacency. 
complacency and false security set up a complete failure that led to an utter destruction. Christians, anybody listening? You need to be paying attention to the story here of the city of Sardis. The devil is going to come after you when you least expect it. When you think you have everything under control, you think you're reading your Bible, everything's going good, you're working in judgment journey, you come into Sunday school, you teach a class, you're singing in the choir, you think you've got it all together, you get a little lax in your prayer life, you get a little lax in your Bible study life, you think you've got it going on, you become complacent in your situation, you think you've got it all wrapped up, hell is going to come knocking at your door and you will fail because you were not prepared for it. Yes, yes, God help us. God help us. I wrote something down for you. And you can write it down if you want to. But here's what happens to anybody when complacency sets in. An unguarded moment combined with an unconcerned attitude led to an unprecedented defeat. If you think the devil's not watching, waiting on his moment to destroy your life, you are both blind and foolish. That's what the city of Sardis looks like. But let's look at the letter. Let's look at the church, at what Jesus has to say to this church. The church is Sardis. The name Sardis means the escaping one or the one that escaped, the one, the one that came out. He says to the angel of the church at Sardis, write these things, saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works. Y'all get that part, right? I know what you're doing. I know what you're involved in. I know when you're showing up at church. I know what you're doing. I see it all. You're not doing it without knowledge. I know your works, that thou hast the name that thou livest and art dead. Jesus says your reputation does not match your reality. The things that you think about yourself and the things that others are saying about you, they don't match what I know to be the truth. Now, the thought is, how could that be? How could something seem alive if it's dead? How could you have ministries? How could you have things going on? How could you have pop? How could you have music? How could you have this stuff going on? And you think you're alive, but you're really dead. How could that be? Well, I was thinking of an illustration for you. Most of those who know anything about me, and a lot of them are here. My wife's in New York with a choir. My son and my daughter-in-law is up at the National Quartet Convention. My daughter helped me get my clothes this morning. At least I got approval. I had to pick up my own clothes this morning. I was almost late to the prayer meeting. I had to call Katie to bail me out. I had five shirts hanging with this thing. I said, look, which one of these looks best with this? Now, so where was I even at? I was talking about something. Oh, yeah, anybody that knows me. <laughs> if, if there's anything that I liked about school, well, I start out, I don't like nothing about school. I didn't like PE. It was just the highlight of the day. But if there was something that was more favorable than others in school, it would have been science. That's why I majored college in biology. I liked things about science. But one of the things that I loved was astronomy. I loved the stars. I don't know, my, my other, not Regina, but my other sister lives in Alaska. She always kind of liked it. Maybe, maybe we can hang it on her. Maybe it's just me. But I loved the stars. And I'm out of, I'll still, if I'm in bed at 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, I will get up at 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. If there's a meteorite shower, this one's going to go out there and watch it. I love getting out. I love watching those things. But there, there, there's an example even in the stars. One of the things I love about the creation story, Genesis 1.16, God said he made the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And then it's kind of just like a casual mention and made the stars also. No big deal, right? I mean, just several billion of big, giant gas balls of fire. I just threw them out there. He does tell in Psalms 147 that he telleth the number of the stars and he calleth them all by name. But it's almost like nothing. He just made them. But, man, there's some things to the stars. See, the moon's not a star. The moon has no light. The moon is what you and I are supposed to be. It's nothing but a reflection of the sun. That's what you and I are supposed to be. We have no light within ourselves. We're just dead. But we're supposed to be a reflection of the S-O-N sun. All the moon is is a reflection of the S-U-N sun. The light goes to it. It hits the moon. And it takes about a second to get to the earth from the moon. Now, I'm going on what science tells us. I've never been 
to the sun, and I've never raced the light back down here to see how long it took to get here. But scientists are telling us that it takes about eight minutes for the light from the sun to get to. Matter of fact, they say it takes eight minutes and 20 seconds. I don't know how they got it down in such a precise time, but eight minutes and 20 seconds for the light from the sun to actually touch the earth. Now, the furthest star away, they say that it takes the light from that star nine billion years to reach the earth. If the light leaving that star right now were put on a timer, it would reach this earth nine billion years from now. I believe that's probably true because the galaxies are that big. Now, now the closest star is called Alpha Centauri. The closest star to planet Earth, Alpha Centauri, they say that it takes the light from, from that star four years to reach the Earth. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. Y'all don't leave me off just yet. For all we know, that star is dead. We just don't know it yet. Because when we look up, we don't actually see the star. We see the light. Matter of fact, scientists say that because that light takes 9 billion years from that furthest star to get here, they say that proves how old the galaxies are and how old the earth is. I just say that proves how great my God is because he didn't just make the stars. He made the stars appreciative to mankind. He made the stars with the light channels already in place. I didn't have to wait 9 billion years for that light to get here. God made it with it already there. But just take Alpha Centauri for a minute. It takes that light four years to reach the earth. Now, science with all of its telescopes and all of its greatness and all that God has given us, when they look up, all they can see is the point of the light that is coming into their telescope. They have no idea whether or not that star is really still alive. We just simply know that the star is still there. Now, let's just assume, say that that star died three and a half years ago. We still don't know it because the light's still shining. The tail end of it hasn't gotten here. But what we see is a dead star shining whoo, on the light from a brilliant past. That's what the church at Sardis is. That's how you can look like you're still alive, but you're dead. You're so caught up in your past, you think you got something going on. You think you did something one time for the glory of God, and that made you something special, that that put a light in you that'll never burn out. But that's not reality. He says, you think you're alive. The church is Sardis. He says, you got a brilliant past, and you appear to be alive. These things, said he, that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. He said, I can see your heart. You say you're alive, and everybody else says you're alive, but you have a problem, and here's your problem. You're living off your reputation. You're living off of what you did once upon a time back in the story. You're living off the things of your past. When a church begins to glory in the things of their past, that church is either dying or it's already dead. Hello, wake up, Faith Baptist Church. When a church sits and talks about how it used to be, you are either dying or you are dead. Oh, I'm going to start preaching for us over with. Mark chapter 7, the, the Pharisees are talking to Jesus and they're condemning the disciples because they came in to eat and they didn't wash their hands. And Jesus said, well, hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, the people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus told the Pharisees, you men do dress up on the outside. You appear righteous and holy to these looking in. You look good. You look like religious leaders. You look like you're alive to everybody on the outside looking in. But I'm telling you, you're full of dead men's bones. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For a man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. The church at Sardis looked good on the outside. They looked like they were alive and doing well. But God said inside, you're a dead church. I believe it would be very disturbing today if God were to give us spiritual eyes 
and allow us to see the number of Sardian churches in our own community. Churches going through the motions. They have their signs. They have their programs. They, they have a Sunday school or their small group meetings, and they get there at 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings and do their little singing and have their little sermonettes that produces Christianettes, and they go their way and go out and eat, but it's nothing but dead religion. God says that kind of stuff's dead to me. Faith Baptist Church, be very careful. What we've done in our past, has nothing to do with what we need to be doing right now. Let, let me narrow it down. What you have done in your past has nothing to do with what you need to be doing for the glory of God today. We don't have time to take a year off. We don't have time to take a year off from judgment journey. We don't have time to take a year off from serving in Awana. We don't have time to take a year off from producing He's Alive. To take a year off simply says, I know people are dying and going to hell, and I don't care. I know people are on their way to hell. I know we have ways of telling the truth. It don't matter to me. I've done enough. I'm washed up. I've done all that I need to do for the glory of God. I've been in judgment journey. I've done it all. We don't have time to take a year off of anything. We've not already arrived. Jesus said you're living on your past. You're living on your past so that you and others think you're alive. But I'm the one that holds the seven stars. I'm the one with the seven spirits of God. And I'm telling you that you better get to work. And you better get your hearts focused on me because you're dead. God can and God will remove the candlestick. God can and God will remove his Holy Spirit from this church. God can and God will remove his Holy Spirit from you. You have no right to live in what you've done in your past. If you're not living for God now, you need to get to work. You don't get to just take your leisure and say, God, I've done enough. Faith Baptist Church, we, we can have church on Sunday mornings. We can have picnics and fellowships and get-togethers and Sunday school and we can go through the motion. We can do barbecue giveaways. But if the Holy Spirit's not in it, it's nothing more than sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. God is telling this church at Sardis, you better wake up. He says, you have a good past. You started off good. You can't live on your past. He says, my work is never finished. I need for you to be serving me now. I preached a message. I think it was a couple of years back. I really don't remember. I didn't go back and look it up. I just remember because I made the reference back to the title several times since because I entitled it Casual Christianity. And that's kind of where we are today. That's where the world's at. That, that's where much of the church lives today. It's just casual Christianity. Been there, done that. Bought the T-shirts. Have them all. Matter of fact, on the week, I wear my 1997 He's Alive t-shirt. I played so-and-so back in the play back then. I got my Judgment Journey t-shirts from the first 10 years. I worked in this scene, this scene. I got them all. I wear them all during the week. You know, we used to date them back then. I wear them all. I got them where I served in all those different programs. I, I got it all. I dress up and I come to church on Sunday morning and I, and I play the part. God says, I don't care what you've done in your past. Those, those that are living on their past, pretending to be something that they're not, I'm sorry, but when we put it, the church is just full of posers. To pretend to be one thing and be something else is just posers. Lord, help us. The church here at Sardis died because it relied on past successes and not on future ability. Do I need to say that again? Any note takers in the house? Somebody missed it? Let, let, let me. The church at Sardis died because it relied on past successes and not on future ability. When the memory of your past is greater than the visions of your future, you're either dying or you're already dead. Number two, the thing that we see here at Sardis is they're good at starting things, but they just don't finish them. 
Jesus said, I've not found thy works perfect before God. That word perfect is a word that means to complete or to finish things. He says, I see you starting stuff, but I don't see you finishing stuff. I see you starting ministries. I see you starting good works, but you're not finishing them. You're not bringing them to fruition. Listen, let me, let me tell you something about judgment journey. We will never stop doing judgment journey because it costs too much money. We will never stop doing judgment journey because it's too much work, because it's too taxing, because it takes too much time, because it's too hard on some people, because there's too many weekends. Listen, as long as God says keep on keeping on, we're going to keep on keeping on with whoever's willing to get down there and serve. If someone live in their past, that's between you and God. Those that want to live in the present, we're going to go live in the present. We're going to do what we can for God now. On the day that God says it's time not to do it, then we won't do it. But we don't just get to decide not to glorify God anymore. We don't just get to decide to take time off. We don't just get to decide. We can't pray, God, help us reach this community in all of our Jerusalem and all our Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. God, help us to be a lighthouse to the community. God, help us to be pleasing to you. God, help us to reach a lost and dying world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't pray that prayer and take one of the most powerful ministries God's ever done and say, I'm not going to do it anymore and mean the prayer that you prayed. If it matters that souls are going to hell, you're going to do everything you can to try to preach the gospel however God allows. He says, you're good at starting things. But you don't finish them. You do them a year or a few months. You do them a few years. But then before, before I get through doing all I wanted to do, you stop what you were doing. Number three, this might be the scariest part of all. They weren't even aware of their own condition. They were dead and they don't even know it. 2 Timothy 3, 5 says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. They were relying on their own reputation of the things in their past to please God rather than the current life that they're living. What they need is a revival. What they need is to wake up. Be watchful, verse number 2 says. Strengthen the things which remain. Let me pause for a minute and reel you back in before some of you either walk out or go to sleep. Some things that I really love about this church. Jesus said, John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, that ye have love one for another. One of the things that I love about this church is the way this church hugs one another, greets one another at the door, greets one another in the foyer, fellowships and spend time. I love the way we fellowship when the choir comes down. Y'all remember I tried to take that out for a while. I tried to make it a worship experience. Let's just sing another worship song and the choir come down and find their seats. But it just didn't fit. It was just weird. It wasn't us. Because this church likes to love on each other. This church likes to fellowship and, and meet with one another. But to me, that's a sign of a healthy church. That, that's a sign of a church that is alive. As a matter of fact, after church, my family can tell you I'm standing right here for at least a half hour after church. Sometimes an hour after church is over meeting um, visitors that will come down and talk. And some of you come down, we talk about different things or prayer or problem or whatever it is. It's usually a half hour to an hour before I leave standing right here. And when I leave, a lot of times there's several of you still in here. There's several still talking. There's people still in the parking lot. There's people, which I don't understand that part. It's 98 degrees out there and it's nice in here and y'all go stand out there. But don't, that, there's a reason why when I leave here I go that way because I'm not going to stand out there and talk to you. You don't talk to me, come down here. When I get outside, I want to go from there to my car and get the air conditioning back running. But, but I, I love the fact that, that after the, the biggest majority, the biggest majority actually stays for the invitation. The biggest majority is actually here. It doesn't have to be a mad rush to the door. It doesn't have to be the first one to the restaurant. It has to be the first one out of the building. There is a voluntary fellowship that takes place right here. To me, that is a sign of a healthy church. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, that ye have love one for another. Sardis has become spiritually anemic. There's no sense of urgency 
They're just there for the show. They did everything by the book. They were there by 1030. Um, they, they did their meet and greet. The choir sang their song. They, they did their congregationals. And then after the choir sang, they came down and did their fellowship time. They did it right by the book, man. They were out by 1159, so at 12 o'clock, they could hit the door and they could head back home. The only problem with that is they walked out of that door at 12 o'clock just as dead as they were when they walked in it at 1030. There was a gathering of some people, but there was no meeting of the Holy Spirit. Now, in order for the church, anybody got about 10 more minutes? What time is it? 11.50? Okay, 20 more minutes. I don't want us to get out early and y'all get used to that kind of stuff. In order for the church at Sardis to become what God wants it to be, here's what has to happen. Anybody ready? God says you look like you're alive, but you're living on your past. But he says it's not all hope lost for you. I, I, I'm going to tell you something. There's some things that make it better. Anybody want to know? All right, the rest of you just got to listen because I'm going to talk to these ten. In order for the church to become what the church needs to be, everybody in the church has to work on self. This story isn't about the building. This story is about the Christian. The church isn't this building. The church isn't those pews. The church isn't this gathering. The church is you and I. The church, we are the bride of Christ. We're the one that the blood of Jesus paid for. We're the one that our sins were washed away. We're the one that our name's written in the Lamb's book of life. We're the one that he's coming back to get. He's not coming to get this building. It'll be full the day after Christ comes and gets us. All those people that missed it will be tearing the doors down to get in here. The fullest day the church will ever see is the day after Jesus Christ comes and gets the bride. They'll want in here then, but it'll be too late then. The church is you and I. So if you're going to fix the church, let's don't talk about fixing the building. we got to start looking in the mirror for a few minutes. Anybody ready? I know some of us, he done gone to meddling now. He's going to kill the whole service. Well, let me just go ahead and meddle. Jesus said you need to get the beam out of your own eye before you start worrying about helping some brothers get some specks out of their eyes. 1 Peter 4, 17, he said, Time has come that judgment must begin in the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? Judgment doesn't begin with your neighbor. Judgment's not going to begin with the person sitting beside you. Judgment's not going to begin with these empty spots this morning. It's not going to begin with the ones that's not here. None of them are your problem. None of them has anything to do with you. Judgment begins with me, with me. Judgment begins with you, with you. People walk out of the church, they say, well, the preacher's just off this morning. He just didn't have it this morning. I didn't like that message at all. Boy, it messed up not having a choir there. That just messed up everything. I don't like it when a choir ain't there. I, I just didn't get anything out of my, I, I didn't feel anything. That's not on me. That's on you. That's not on the person sitting beside you. That's not on anybody around you. That's on you. Because if you walk in here in a right spirit with God, you're going to have a meeting with the Holy Spirit of God, and you and him are going to have a good time together. I don't care what anybody around you does or does not do. If you walk in here in a right relationship with God, you're going to have church. You walk out of the church and say, well, I didn't feel anything this morning. That is the greatest condemnation that you can ever give to yourself. That's your fault you walked out in and didn't feel nothing because the Spirit of the Lord is here. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus said in verse number 20, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. The Spirit of God is here. If you don't get it, that's not on us. That's on you. It's not on God. He did his part. He's here. If you're not feeling what you used to feel, that's because you ain't what you used to be. Oh, oh. Right in the back, boy, somebody threw that one. I said, if you ain't feeling what you used to feel, it's because you ain't what you used to be. If you ain't feeling what you need to feel, it's because you ain't in the place where you need to be. If you're sitting around reminiscing about times of your past, that's because you're relying on the glory of your past and not what you can do for God now. Whoo, Lord, help us. There's no one accountable 
for the condition of your relationship with Jesus Christ except for you. There is no one accountable for your spiritual condition except for you. If you have studied all during the week and read your Bible, if you have prayed and spent time all during the week in fellowship with the Lord, if you are walking in one with Christ and you come in here expecting to get something, then you are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and nothing can stop that. If. Which means your experience with God in the church starts and ends with you. So if the church at Sardis is going to change, the only way that's going to happen is for the members, the church, the people, to begin to change some things within themselves. Verse number 4, Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. You know what? You can walk into some of the deadest churches in the world, and there's still going to be some old saints of God hanging on. Every church, no matter how dead the service, no matter how dead the gathering, there's some old saints of God going to be hanging on. There's some old saints of God going to keep praying for a revival. Just like there's some old saints just kept on praying for a Greg Nichols. Just like there was a mama just kept on praying for a Donald Gancy. Just like some old mamas and grandmamas just kept on praying for some sons and daughters. Somebody just kept on hanging on. Somebody just kept on holding on. There's going to be some saints of God. Jesus says you just keep on hanging on. It's not going to know unnoticed. I'm going to dress you up in a robe of white and you're going to come hang out with me for all of eternity. It's just going to be us. So let me ask you this morning. Strengthen the things which remain. What are the things that remain in you that need to be strengthened? That's what he says to the church. Everybody thinks you're alive, but you're dead. But here's what you can do. Strengthen the things which remain. What do you have in you that needs to be strengthened that remains? What about your daily Bible reading? Is your daily Bible reading strong? Or is it lacking? Or, or is it in need of CPR? Or is it just dead and non-existent? What, what about your prayer life? What about your daily prayer? Do you feel like you can walk into the throne room behind the veil in the blood of Jesus and talk to God anytime you want to? Do you feel like you have the kind of relationship or is your relationship broken in sin? Prayerlessness is a sin. Do you feel like you can walk into the throne room and talk to God about your problems and God cares and God hears you and God will fellowship? Do you feel like you're walking with God and God's walking with you? What about your prayer life? Is that something that's strong? Is that something that's weak and needs reviving? Or is that something that's non-existent? Let me just go ahead and dump water on and put the whole fire out. What about your giving? I knew it. That preacher couldn't get through there without saying something about money. Well, let me just say one thing about money. I wrote it down so I could just say one thing and just move on. Where you are in your giving is a pretty good self-examination of where you are in your Christian walk. Time out, move on. That's yours for free. Go back and watch it and hear it again. What about your witnessing? Are you telling others around you about Jesus? Man, Greg hit the nail on the head with that shirt. I'd seen it before. How powerful is that? If you were accused of being a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict you? What about at work? If you tell people you're a Christian, is there enough evidence on your workplace? Are you telling people about what Christ did for you? I'm not asking you to go in there singing them the song of the books of the Bible. I'm not asking you to go in there, are you quoting the Romans Road? Are you just walking in there saying, I once was blind, but now I see? I, I was on my way to hell, but now I'm on my way to heaven. I was lost in my sin, but all my past has been erased, and I'm a new creature in Christ. Glory to Jesus Christ. Thank you. Are you just telling others about what Christ has done? How, how well are you doing in your spiritual life? Jesus said, strengthen the things which remain, which are about to die. Are you alive and well in your spiritual life, or are you on life support? Or are you at a spot where you need somebody to step in and do CPR and revive you and pull you back up? How is your walk? He says, wake up. 
Wake up. You started off good, but you're living on what you've done in your past. I want you to serve me with everything that you have today. I don't care if you served 15 years in a row in Judgment Journey. What about 2019? I don't care what you did for me a month ago. What are you doing for me today? I don't care if you witnessed to somebody four years ago and led them to Christ. What about last week on your job site? I don't care if you lived good a few years ago. What are you doing in your school now? I want to know what are you doing now. This isn't a timeout. You don't get to do enough. We're supposed to be on a gradual incline closer to the glory of God. You don't get to plateau and stop. If you do, you're either going up or down. There are no flat places. You're either getting closer to God or you're getting further from God. There ain't no in-between. You don't get the time out. You don't get to stop. You don't get to look at your past and say, wow, look at what I did. There ain't no time for that. If you did anything good in your past, God will remind you that when you get the glory, when he gives you a crown for what you did. Keep on working now for the crowns that are yet to be won. God help us. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard. Hold fast. Here comes an old nasty word. Y'all ready for it? And repent. That means, Lord, I am truly sorry. More, more than that, more than that, more than that. To repent doesn't just mean to say I'm sorry, but it means to turn away from and go back towards God. To repent from a sin, to repent from lack of service, means I'm going to turn away from that, and I'm going to go back to doing better. I wonder what would happen in each of our lives if we simply repented for the things that we have not done for the glory of God. I wonder what would happen in each of our lives if we simply repented for the times when we sat home, they got plenty. They don't need me. I, I, man, I don't feel like doing that today. I've had a hard week. Now, I've done enough of that work down and stuff. I, I, man, there's a ball game coming on TV I want to watch. I want to go to the mall. I want to go hunting. There's some things, man, I don't want to give my Friday and Saturday for six weeks. I got stuff I, I like doing. Besides, I, I, I have a life. I can't be at the church all that time. I wonder what a difference it would make in each of our lives if we just took a time to sincerely stop and thank God for that life that he gave us rather than find ways to use it and not be serving him with all that we have. I, I know. To some, I'm meddling. And to some, it's just preaching the truth. It's right out of the book. Some of you are going to walk out and think, I don't have to listen to that. You're right, you don't. Some of you are going to walk out and think, Lord, just help me. Just help me. I just want to be better. I just want to be closer to you. I just want to walk hand in hand with you. I don't want to have been pleasing to you. I want to be pleasing to you. And I want to grow more pleasing to you each day of my life. I want to grow closer to you. I don't want to rely on the successes of my past. I don't want to rely on the things that, that was back there. I don't, I don't want to be a has-been in, in, in the eyes of God. I want to be a tool that you can use right now. Some of the people in this building will walk out of here today changed. Somebody will walk out having been convicted. Somebody will walk out having had a meeting with the Holy Spirit and saying, that's me. God, I'm going to get my Bible reading straightened out. I'm going to grow in that. God, I'm getting my prayer life back. God, I'm, I'm going to grow. Some people will walk out of here changed, and some will walk out of here mad. Well, some will walk out of here wanting to grow closer to God, and some will walk out of here saying, I don't have to listen to that kind of stuff. The difference isn't the message. The message was the same message preached. The difference isn't the presentation. The same redneck delivered it to both of you. The difference isn't whether or not the choir is here. That, that fact can't be changed. The situation is the same for all. The difference is the position of your heart. So if you can walk out disgusted by what God had to say, you may look alive. The church is Sardis. He said you're spiritually dead. You think you're alive. Everybody else thinks you're alive. But I can tell you, you need to wake up. You need to get your heart turned around. 
So when Jesus looks at, at my life, when Jesus looks at your life, at our life, individually, does he see a life sold out for him? Or does he see a has-been? Does he see the places that you've been, but now you're dead? You used to do stuff. You used to be involved in ministries. You used to come to Sunday school. You used to be at the prayer meetings on Monday night. You used to come to men's prayer meetings. When, when he looks individually, this is a mirror, guys. I have to look in the same mirror. I've had to look in it for the last two days, long and hard. When God looks in, at, at your life, does he see somebody sold out for him right now? Or does he see a has-been? Maybe even sees a never was. Maybe even straddling the fence for a long time. Have you stand, please. God, thank you so much. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the conviction of your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the two-edged swords that pierces. God, thank you for the way that it cuts. Thank you for the way that it slices. Thank you for the way that it teaches. Thank you for the way that it ministers to. Thank you for the way that it strengthens. God, thank you that it is pure. Thank you that it is right. Thank you that it is holy. Thank you that it is never changing. Thank you that it cannot be watered down or determined and steered away by the things of men. God, thank you for this book that lasts forever, God. A book, a word that is designed to teach us, designed to shape us and mold us and make us. God, thank you, Father, that it has some things that can even let us look in our own lives and see the error of our own ways, God. God, I pray for everybody standing in this building right now. God, I pray that your sweet Holy Spirit would minister to everybody standing in this building right now. God, for those that are giving you all that they have. God, I pray a hedge of protection about their bodies. I know that the demons of hell will come against them and against their family, but greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. God, I pray for everybody that's serving you with all that they have, that you'd strengthen their finances, strengthen their homes, strengthen their marriage, put a hedge about them. God, I pray you'd bind them up and keep them safe. God, I pray for everyone in this place that's a has-been. God, they used to serve you in ways that are different. That means that they're backslid, God. They're not as close to you as they once were. I pray your Holy Spirit would speak to each right now, God. I pray that you do a work in their lives. I pray that you do what only you can do. Speak to every soul in this place individually, God, that we might be a better servant, God. God, for those that are living in a far distance from you and just hanging on to a fence out there somewhere, I pray you draw them closer, God. God, I'm praying your spirit move in this place, Lord, among your people. Thank you that we can be called Christians. Thank you that we can be called children of God. What an incredible gift to be called a child of God. Thank you so much. I pray you'd help us to live a life now that's pleasing to you, God. We love you. We trust you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Altars are open. You're always welcome to the altar. I just wonder if there's anybody this morning that's never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You don't even have that relationship. I'm not asking, did you ever say a prayer? I'm not asking you, can you look back and remember today? I'm not asking, did your grandmama remind you of a prayer you pray you little? I'm asking you, do you know that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Do you know that you've asked him to save your soul and wash away your sins? Do you know that he's written your name down in the Lamb's Book of Life? And that today, if you were to die, you'd go to heaven because of what Jesus Christ did for you, the free gift of God, and you have accepted that gift. And for that reason and that reason alone, none other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. It is the name of Jesus Christ. Have you trusted in that name? Do you know you'd go to heaven? If you don't know you'd go to heaven, that's because you're not going to heaven. You can't have the Holy Spirit of God living in you and not give yourself assurances inside. The devil will never cause you to doubt your salvation. He doesn't want you doubting it because you might do something about it. If you have any doubts, you better weigh the sides out and you better make sure you've got some things right with God. Anybody right now, if I could have heads bowed, eyes closed, Christians, I'm asking you to pray right now. If there be anybody in this place that's never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and you can't say, I know that I know if I died today, I'd go to heaven because of what Christ did in me. Are you willing to change that today? Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Greg said it earlier, for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. It's Romans 3, 23. That's the only thing in here is a bunch of sinners. Sinners washed in the blood, saved by grace, and sinners still lost in their sin. 
I know I'm a sinner, Lord. There must be a confession of the mouth. The Bible tells us that. So you must confess, I'm lost and I need to be found. I am lost. I need to be saved. Lord, I am a sinner. Are you willing to pray that? Lord, I am a sinner. And I'm asking you to come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, and save my soul in Jesus' name. I believe you're the one that lived the perfect life, died on Calvary's cross, shed your blood for remission of my sin. I believe you're the one that rose on the third day, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. I believe you're the one that can save my soul, and I'm asking you to save my soul now. Forgive me of my sins in Jesus' name. Right where you're at, nobody's looking, nobody's going to come to you. But it'd be the most important day of your life. Anybody here, raise your hand and say, I trusted Christ this morning as my personal Lord and Savior. I need you to hold your hand up and hold it high. I'm not going to point you out. I do want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. Hold them up high. Everybody stand. It'll take me a minute to look around. So that makes us all children of God by our own testimony. So let me ask you this. Anybody in here this morning needs to say, Lord, I'm sorry for the things I haven't done. But if you'll help me, I'm going to do better starting today. If you will strengthen me, if you will help me, I'm not living in the glory of my past. If you will help me, I want everything to start today. From this day forward for the rest of my life, I want to grow closer to you every day. And I need you to help me. You raise your hand. I've already seen hands all over the building. I need for you to help me grow closer to you. Can, can I just go ahead and tell you? It's not going to come easy. As long as you're content with the stalemate, the devil's content to leave you there. But when you decide, I'm tired of sitting on the pew. When you decide, I'm tired of just being a spot going by. When you decide, I want to give God my glory. When you decide, I want to tell others about Christ. When you decide I want to be used by Him for His glory, when you decide I want to be something bigger and something better, the devils are going to up their game. Greater is He that is in me. Amen. It doesn't matter what the devil thinks or wants to do. He can't do anything except what God allows. So if you increase anything else, then increase everything else. And with everything else, make sure you increase your prayer life. God put a hedge of protection around me, around my family. Can I remind you, if he can't get to you, he'll get to the weakest link around you. He'll get to you however he can. God, protect my family, protect my home, protect my distant family, protect friends around me. God, put a hedge about my family and my home. I just want to be pleasing to you.